Hi, thanks for listening to this very first episode of the Arizona Equals podcast. I'm really excited to get this project off the ground, and we've got some great episodes coming up. We're going to be releasing them weekly on Tuesdays. So let me tell you a little bit about the show before we get started. The Arizona Equals Conversation is an interview podcast where we talk to queer Arizonans about their lives and their connections in the state. In this first episode, we're talking to Jeff Love, and it's a really wonderful time. We talk about acceptance and expression. We talk about making the decision to live in Arizona and how Arizona has changed over the years. We talk about being queer online in the 90s and being queer online in the 2020s. And one reoccurring theme that I really appreciated was solidarity between queer generations. Near the beginning of our conversation, Jeff mentions the murder of Matthew Shepard in Wyoming, so I'm going to provide a link for more details about that in the show notes. Another important topic we discuss is the current backlash we're seeing towards queer people in America and some of the factors that play into it. The conversation can be a little heavy at times, but it's also definitely a lot of fun. So let's get the show started. So my name is uh, Jeff Love. I have lived in Arizona now for 11 years. Um, I am part of the gay queer community, and I hope everybody else joins me in the gay queer community. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for being patient with the audio uh, snafus. So I think half an hour ago or whatever when we were setting up, um, you mentioned that you found Equality Arizona through Mobilize. You were looking for events. Um, because you wanted to get involved politically. Were you already pretty involved um, volunteering and stuff politically or? So I volunteered during Barack Obama's campaign. So, and then during his reelection. So I did phone banks. Um, Back then there wasn't really a texting. So we were just phone banking. Um, And then during the 2016 with Hillary and the other one, also volunteered and now I've become more I want to become more involved in I guess the organization of like getting volunteers getting people signed up to vote oh yeah um just because I feel like for some it's just apathy you're you know people are just tired so we need to kind of re-engage voters that normally are just like it doesn't matter who wins well it does matter who wins because it's getting out of control um so that's my goal is to i'm trying to find where i fit in the political arena in arizona i guess so yeah that makes sense and that's that's a long time working on these campaigns uh i think you know working with hillary in 2016 that was a huge letdown Right. Yeah. For a lot of people. That was traumatic. Uh, <laughs> so you talk about that feeling of like mm. people just being tired or burnt out or even apathetic. Have you ever dealt with that feeling yourself? 
Yeah, I mean, it has it, it's tiresome. I mean, especially in, I guess, the queer space that it kind of encompasses everybody that is not simply a white middle-aged man that yeah. you know um it's just a constant chipping away at people's rights and their freedoms to be who they are and it's because of a minority that is very loud where I, for too long the other side liberals because i would say if i was a left spectrum i'm like way way on the left so i'm oh, yeah. being beyond whatever so i mean it's a we've allowed it to become the story has been driven too much by the right, and we haven't found our story. It's not we're not engaging; we're just reacting. So I think this is now the time, and I'm thankful for people that are younger than me because I feel like Gen Z, whatever that means, I don't know what the age group is, but they've got their crap together, and I don't want them to have to grow up feeling like crap like I did growing up in the 80s and 90s for being not a straight guy you know i mean it's just you know i think everybody should be able to be whoever they want to be and there's absolutely no reason for anybody to take those rights away and i want them all i mean just think of all the cool things we would have all these creative people if they were not constantly worried about you know being let down and we probably have flying cars and i mean just (laughs) just feels like you know we've it's like that meme where there's like a sci-fi city backdrop and it says society if you know and then fill in the blank it's it's kind of i mean i don't want to go back to the 50s so, and that's yeah. where they are, the right is trying to bring us. So I think for many of us, especially my generation, we were mainly focused on getting a job, getting a house, moving, you know, what, you know, it was just yeah. very focus driven. And for a lot of us, like for me personally, I didn't really embrace being queer, whatever, mm-hmm. until like my thirties. Yeah. So for, you know, I don't want other people to have to wait that long to be who they are. Right. So I think right now is the time to kind of be politically involved for whomever wants to be. But I think regardless, it needs to be everybody needs to kind of step yeah. up now before it's kind of too late. So Yeah. So you mentioned growing up in the 80s and 90s yes. and facing discrimination then. Mm-hmm. Were you in Arizona at the time or did you move here later? No, so I was in Montana. So I grew up in Montana. Okay. Um, and so the reason I kind of really remember that time is because when I was in middle school is when Matthew Shepard happened in Wyoming. That was just right next to, I mean, I, you know, I have family in Wyoming. Yeah. So when you think about in the 80s and 90s, it was much different also with the HIV AIDS epidemic. Right. And I was in middle school seeing all the headlines about, you know, how, I mean, then it was just gay. You know, there was nobody, there was no other fun spectrum of everybody else. It was just, and we were, you know, so it was very hard to, um, you know, you internalize that. And I think a lot of people internalize that and you kind of, you're no longer who you are. Your whole time is spent trying to be somebody else that you don't really move forward, you know, until you kind of, but so, I mean, Montana, Arizona, I would assume probably were similar at that time. That's what I would think. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, Montana, unfortunately, is actually getting worse. Arizona is going purple and Montana is getting very red. Arizona has definitely changed a lot since I was a kid. Uh, Good. Um, Politically, I think, culturally. And that's been, I think, great for a lot of queer people. We've definitely seen a backlash recently, but I think it continues to progress forward. 
I would hope. I mean, Arizona, yeah. I feel like, is going purple. And that's kind of why, I mean, instead of, because we were talking to my partner, you know, if we wanted to stay in Arizona. But mm-hmm. I was talking to other people, and they're like, if we lose our voices here, then another state goes red again. So try to bring other people who think also the same way or, you know, close to us, and bring them here to the red states and get our voices heard. Because right now, how our system works is the minority with the Electoral College, with um, rural versus urban, it is very much skewed towards rural right now. And rural, we are not reaching out to them. We're just letting them find their own information, which is mainly more fear and hate mongering than it is understanding or education. It's definitely a big challenge. Is that what brought you to Arizona to get involved politically or? No. So um, my partner and I decided to leave Montana just because it was very, I don't want to say claustrophobic, but it's very hard to be uh, gay together in Montana. It's, you know, I'm sure it's a little bit better. We had one, we have one gay bar that maybe it's still there, hopefully, but it was very hard. And he is also um, mixed race. Oh yeah. So in Montana, it's very difficult for, <laughs> you know, uh, somebody who's also mixed race and gay and, you know, on top of us. So we wanted to come to Arizona. We know the cities were more liberal. It was due to this or California. Um, and for California, it was um, it just happened to work out with, you know, our work. That so we sense. came to Arizona and um, it's been great. You know, where we live is great. We've always lived in like urban settings so not we don't really experience a lot of you know looks but that's good still i uh i guess i still worry when he goes out driving at night by himself so i don't you know it's just uh so yeah arizona (laughs) it can be difficult i mean even just from one neighborhood to another neighborhood i think um moving from montana you said really claustrophobic community maybe one gay bar how would you compare the gay community or queer community you found here to that experience? Was it easy to find community or did it take you some time to kind of find your way? Um, so when we first moved here, we did go out, um, you know, to kind of meet other people in the queer or gay space or whatever, you know, yeah. the, the community. And um, I think we've kind of let that go for a while. You know, it's... Um, you know, as you get older, it's very, growing up is very image and um, youth oriented. So as you get older, those spaces no longer feel, you know, for one, I don't want to crowd those spaces. Those spaces should be for younger people who are, you know, trying to find their own path, trying to find their own ways. And that is. It's important. I yeah. think older and younger is fine from learning show, but ha- younger people need to have their own space, honestly, to find their, and they're doing much better than we ever <laughs> did. So, I mean, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. But so I haven't really, we haven't really reached out to a lot of the community. And that's also another reason why I'm trying to get more involved in our community, like with Equality Arizona, yeah. where um, more queer voices are heard. I guess, or at least I want to be involved in making sure that future voices have that voice instead of having it taken away. So That makes sense. Uh, I think what I didn't ask is how long ago did you make that switch from Montana to Arizona? 
it's been about 12 years now. So okay. we've been in Arizona probably for 12 years. Um, so working on like the Obama re-election, Hillary, mm-hmm. all of that has been here in Arizona. Yes. Yeah. So it's okay. always been, um, yeah, I was, you know, it just, I was so excited when Obama won the first one. I thought, you know, we just done it. We know we, we've hit the, we're done. They know the liberal, yeah. <laughs> we've won. And now it can just only get better from here. You know, then I was just kind of waiting for the next, you know, whatever. And I would have, after eight years, I didn't realize the backlash that would have occurred because our president was not white. Right. It's very disconcerting to realize in 2022 that there are still millions of people that are still subscribing to that. So, I mean, it's a 2022. We were supposed to have flying cars in 2022, and that it's just amazing. That I like the flying cars. Uh, <sighs> so yeah. disappointed. Watch Back in the Future in the 80s. I don't know if you remember. Oh, I love Back in okay, the Future. So that's, that's one of my favorite movies. I mean, yeah. where's my flying car? That was 2015. We should have had it, you know, Ages by the end ago. of the Obama era. Yeah. You know? No, we probably would have <laughs> if the Republicans were dead. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, that makes me think, um, at that time— I think when you moved to Arizona, that was before even the city of Phoenix had its non-discrimination ordinance. So politically, we've seen, I think, a huge shift from, from you know, maybe around 2012 in the past decade. Um, have you noticed that in your life living here in Arizona, differences between what it was like when you first moved here to what it's like now in terms of acceptance or anything like that? Um, so when I first moved here, um, I... I did notice a political shift because um, I was also vo- I volunteered at um, Phoenix Pride when they had an actual building. I don't I don't think they have a building anymore, but Greg Stanton what came to the center when it opened, which I would have never even thought would occur in Arizona, where a politician comes to, uh, you know, the Phoenix Pride Center to welcome its opening. So I think from there it has, and I also think it very much depends on where you live though, even within this, you know, Phoenix area, what kind of reception you'll get. Because I still find, even when I go out now, I find myself toning down. And I don't know if that's something that uh, for older gay men, you know, when you learn, you don't, talk with your hands you walk up straight you so it's very and I still find myself doing it I think about that all the time when I'm not around other people that are also part of the community you know I I find myself doing the same thing and I think Arizona is becoming more accepting um, but I think it has a long way to go and it just depends on where you are it's so hit and miss here what parts of town do you kind of move between where you notice those so, like, I live close to Chandler, Awatuki, Tempe. So I'm, like, okay. in that That's corner That's where I grew area. up. That's, yeah, Tate said that you oh, cool. grew up. So I live there. So I'll go to, like, down to Whole Foods, and I feel super fine. You know, I'm, like, whatever. Everybody yeah. else that I know is liberal. Then I'll go up to Awatuki, and I'll go to, like, you know, those spaces, and I find myself toning down because it feels very much different there. Yeah. It doesn't feel as welcoming. And it could be, but it's just the people – and I, this is probably very stereotypical, but when I see a bunch of big trucks compared to a bunch of Teslas, I feel like there's a difference of what I'm going <laughs> to experience. And sometimes it really is just crossing the street. So I grew up in that area. I was at the 
very south end of Tempe. No. And if I crossed the road actually in two different directions, I would be in Chandler. Yeah. And so now if you do that, if you move from if you move across the road from Tempe to Chandler, you lose your non-discrimination protections. And you can even see the cultural shift, like crossing over from Tempe area into Ahwatukee, like you're talking about. Yeah. So I definitely agree with that, um, just how, how that area feels and how the Phoenix metro area can feel in general. It is very different. And I, I love coming up to Phoenix now, and I haven't done it, you know, since the COVID. But, you know, yeah. you know, we're coming up here and these spaces are so much different than I remember nine years ago. I mean, there's all the flags, and I went to the fair trade, and just so much more welcoming. I think that helps with other people seeing gay people out there, or queer people, or you know, whoever they don't usually get when they're inside on the internet for three years, stuck inside a COVID lockdown, where they're out and they're you know seeing other people again. I think that changes mindsets. I've seen a lot of energy around that, and I think politically, people are just really fired up, not just by things that are happening now, but because of that period of being, I think, just locked in during COVID. Yes. What yeah. was your COVID experience like here in Arizona? Uh, so we work remotely. So nice. it was at home all the time, but it's very hard when you're always on the internet and reading the news. And you see, again, there was a divide, mask or no mask. Um, vaccine or no vaccine. And even within Arizona, I mean, when you think about how the right is kind of politicized, those things that are there to protect you, where, <laughs> I mean, it just, so it's still, the political climate here is very charged, I think, right now. And I'm very interested to see how the next couple of months, especially with the midterms coming up, how that's going to play out. Um, yeah, you know. I think it's hard to predict, but it'll probably not go the way anyone thinks it's going to go. Just I think COVID really changes political realities. I think it changed people. I mean, yeah. we're not meant to be stuck inside home. And for a lot of people, they didn't have a choice. So they right. were out exposed to that stress all the time. Yeah. Whereas other people who, I suppose, had the opportunity to not go out. And I, right. you know, it's usually um, if you were more affluent, you didn't have to deal with it. So it was still the more burden was put on people who could least afford the medical care, who could least afford to take sick time off to take care of their children who were at home now because they couldn't go to school. So they're trying to learn. Their parents are trying to go to work. There's no help from the state or from the government and because that would be a handout even though we give billions to corporations as a not a handout, of course, it just, <laughs> you know, so I, we didn't take care of the people here or anywhere, really very few states, some blue states did. So some blue states, you know, they got the, you know, more money, more help, but still it was not enough for a lot of people when you're living paycheck to paycheck, something happens and your yeah. whole thing is gone. So three years of that for people, it's bound to, change how people think about the world. And I think that's why we're seeing an uprising also. They're just not taking the crap anymore. People aren't working yeah. for low wage, whatever. I love the idea of Starbucks unionizing. I'm like, unionize them all. Apple is unionizing their retail stores. Those people that are get paid whatever, $15 an hour or something. And they're making $2 billion. That's, companies worth $2 billion and they can't pay them 
So, I mean, it's just, I think that's, the change is going to be much different than we expect. Is that something you've been getting involved in, union organizing at all? Or does that not really apply to your work so much? No. So it doesn't apply to me. So I work at, uh, um, so I work with my, a family company. So oh, our wonderful. family owns the company. So we're trying to wind down. But during COVID, we, we had, we're the trucking company. So we had drivers that we were constantly worried about if they got sick because we contract with the post office. Oh, and yeah. in Montana, some people wanted to wear masks. Some people did not. So we had drivers get sick. Uh, a couple of them, one of them, one of their family members died, you know, during this period. So, I mean, oh, no. and you're trying to take care of your employees. You're trying to keep your business going for a lot of small business. I'm sure the same thing. It's so much pressure. Yeah. And, you know, how do you navigate all of that and still try to make it through the rest of the normal stuff that you have to deal with, you know, every day yeah. <laughs> of just living, you know, it's just uh, so... You know, I think um, this is going to be a different now that we're well, it's not over. So it definitely it, that's true. Pandemic isn't over. That's true. <laughs> so but I think as people kind of get tired of it, things are going to change and people are tired of working for stuff they are not excited about. Like uh, that's why I'm getting involved with more things. I want it once we finish our business, I want to work with something that is I'm actually passionate about. So that's why I'm here with yeah. Equality Arizona or, you know, the Democratic Party, which I try to have some hope on. But I feel like the younger generations will do better in the Democratic Party than the older. So I don't know. <laughs> Just Something I think about a lot with the, uh, with the COVID pandemic is so many people were dealing with isolation. And I think for queer people, that can be especially hard, not having that community connection. But then at the same time, I saw so many people who actually were able to discover their queer identity and experiment and come out in a way that they maybe didn't feel like they could before the pandemic. And I think a lot of that has to do with how queer identities can, we have we can have more fluidity online and we can find people like us sometimes easier online. Is that something... I mean, you, you were growing up in the 90s when I think that really took off. Is that something that was ever a big part of your journey, um, like online communities? Um, <laughs> so when I found the Internet, that is not what we, <laughs> not what we used it for. <laughs> um, you know, we had like AOL, so right. we'd find the chat things. But it was really to find people to connect with, but not for long-term connections. I mean, because yeah. it was very much behind the scenes. You were, you know, um, eventually when I went off to college, you know, I didn't need online spaces, but online space was nothing like it is now back then. I mean, you know, it was so much different that um, I think now it, it is great for the queer community that there is more online spaces, but I also think it makes it easier for them to be targeted. Yeah, um, more surveillance, I think. More surveillance, but also if it doesn't seem like we have a space space of our own, we have to carve out a corner of other spaces that we try to make our own. So like if you're on, like I'm not on Facebook because it's just yeah, I'm not horrible. Either. But on Twitter, you, you you try to carve out those little spaces, or you know TikTok, which I don't know how that works. But, Me neither. You know, there those spaces, but you still are carving out on your own because there's it's not really geared towards the queer community. It's true. And 
we just try to make ourselves fit into those communities. I found so many of the trans people that I'm connected to through Twitter, but then I see that, that there's this little space, this cluster of accounts, and when a tweet goes viral or it gets too much spread, then all of a sudden you get that clash with, oh yeah, we're not in our own space. Right. We're in the same place as everyone else. And then there's more hostility and there's people coming in who don't have the context for what our community is about. And it can end really poorly, I think, a lot of the time. Um, I think, especially for the trans community right now, I never seen the, I remember it from when I was growing up towards the gay community and it's now towards the trans community. And a lot of those younger generation, your generation, younger, they are vilified by people that claim to want to help children. Right. So, And that's when, the same kind of rhetoric. I mean, I think a lot of it's yeah. almost copy and paste it from is. 20 years ago. It's because now the gay community is kind of and I'm going to say gay white community because it does not apply to minorities because they haven't been, you know, it's just it's like every these little steps we make and then they find somebody else within that community to other. It's always trying to find that other that mm-hmm. is not like them. So once something kind of gains mainstream, then they find the next one to vilify. And right now it's children who are trying to just be themselves. And it has to be so hard. And I think that is why I think social media is important for many in the trans community. And I have no experience, honestly, with having those kind of feelings. So I would have Mm -hmm. no reason to go into those communities to tell them what to do. If you're a part of the trans community, you know what's best. I don't know what's best. I barely know what's best for me. <laughs> so let them have their own space. And I think, and I don't know if the, if I should say there is a plug. So I went, I've started now, um, I found a social media thing called Macedon, which w- I didn't realize wasn't just right-wing wackadoos. It is. So now I have probably 50 people that I actually chat with in a queer artsy space for people who don't know what mastodon is can you do you have like a elevator pitch for how that works yes so it is it's like a twitter but you own the twitter it's your own little universe that can connect to other little universes and if you don't like the other universes attitude you can block them out yeah so that they don't come and invade your universe yeah and i think i wish it was more widely known. I wish more queer communities or even marginalized communities, whatever communities found it, instead of having to deal with the main Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, then you can create your own space and then you can invite others into your space too who are also welcoming. You set your own rules. You, you know, and I find it I'll go on Twitter and I can feel my heart just go up. And then I go on to Mastodon and I get to see pictures of ducks. And I get to see somebody coming out and saying they're doing their, um, you know, next surgery or they're, ha- you know, they're caught into their, you know, family and they're, you know, had a great experience. It's, it's so much different. How did you find that space? 
I think a lot of people don't really know where to look besides, you know, Twitter, Facebook, right. Instagram. Um, so I'm, <laughs> this is just me. I, I'm a tech nerd, I guess. Um, so for me, it was open source. I basically just searched open source social media and that's where I found was Mastodon. So if anybody out there, if you're queer, trans, you know, anything on the spectrum, gender fluid, find your community and build it yourself. Because Twitter, Facebook, the main ones, they aren't going to build it for you. They're just looking to make a profit. Your information is just their profit. The more engagement, the more outlandish, you'll feel better. And if you want, you can start your own little community. It's very easy to set up or you can join one. So there's ones with thousands of people on there where it's all different, you know, art. There's um, lesbian, there's trans, there's non. I mean, it's just everything out there. And it's a small little community for you. So say if you have like Phoenix, you have a whole friends community and you all want to just post pictures of, you know, start your own Mastodon instead of trying to go to Twitter and have that same experience because you won't have the same experience. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a really wonderful thing and I think it's almost inevitable that people have to start creating their own communities. Um, this idea of everything just being one complete kind of context collapse situation, I don't think that works long term and it's really exciting to see local communities, whether it's online or not, uh, I think really flourish right now, especially coming out of the pandemic. I mean, I think now is the best time for especially local, local communities in the Phoenix area to kind of come together. Uh, earlier, you were talking about putting more of yourself into your passions, moving away from the job that you've had for a while and, and putting yourself into this work. Have you been, I mean, it sounds like you've been taking steps to do that already. Uh, how do you see that moving forward for you? So my goal is basically to move the skills I have now are basically um, I would like to move them into some type of political arena, either um, working with the DNC, local DNC here, um, or, you know, Equality Arizona, I'm happy to volunteer, like the, we're having a run tomorrow. So, you know, that will be, you know, just more of those spaces. And I think um, it's going to be important for a lot of us who have been online activists and not real activists, you know, I can like and I can tweet and I can send that five bucks, but that's not really changing any, <laughs> changing any minds. So I, I think it'll be important um, for our community to have that kind of voice and that power, just like I don't want to say, but, you know, the other side, basically the right, they've already been doing this for years. They knew to that their ideas were unpopular, but they grouped together. They have a solid plan. That, so we need to group together. We need to have a solid plan. So like say with Equality Arizona and the Democratic Party, that would be nice to have our voice heard instead of just having to dictate to us what they're going to do for us, which is not the same thing because they don't know either. I mean. Yeah. I think that building coalition, that work of building coalitions is, is kind of what we need right now. People coming together who aren't just in the same community um, and that's something that social media doesn't really do very well. Um, do you find that you're able to, I mean, just in your own life, 
kind of move between communities and have those connections outside of maybe just something built around your identity? Or is that something that there isn't a lot of opportunity for in, in the Phoenix area? So I'll be honest, I don't, I never really before thought about my identity first. So I never really identified as a gay man. I was just somebody who, and, you know, liked, and it, you know, whomever. <laughs> I think that's a lot of people's experience. They don't go in with their identity entering the room before them. Right. They're just living their life. Right. And for, I mean, because it's not the first thing, because you, you're with it all the time. So it's not the first thing you think of is that, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm gay today. <laughs> right on. I can't wait to go be gay outside in the grocery store or going to get gas because that's not realistic. We, I, I think a lot of us, we only realize our differences when somebody else points it out to us and we see it. Because for us, it's just who we are. Right. Like anything else, you know, it's not until in this past couple of years is when it's been really drawn down. So now I have the rainbow flags, the whole, I the new flag. So I like the rainbow flag with the um, trans inclusion and everything in there. So I have plopped on it everywhere. So now it's on all my social medias because before I never cared. Yeah. But now it's important for us to be visible. It's important for us to be seen by other people, not as other, but as part of the community. What made that shift for you? <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> Just, yeah. I mean, I you always knew that there's prejudice, you know, with every, I mean, really, if they could, they would just go back to slavery, you know, in the South. I mean, just beyond out of control that those ideas are still there. So, but that moment, and I don't think it was Donald Trump himself. I think he came in at the right time, right after President Obama left. And for a lot of white less educated maybe or less exposed to different communities there was a backlash and he wrote that backlash i think that's the case that for a lot of people who don't have that community bond and like we were talking about before the rural urban divide if you're just not around people then you don't really see them for who they are you maybe think about the label and then right. if someone says oh well here's what here's what's wrong with gay people in America. Um, you don't have your neighbor to think of. All you see is that label. And like we were just talking about, that's not even how we see ourselves right. a lot of the time. Although I do love to be gay at the grocery store. I have to just go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a really important message, like you're saying, that you know, things don't just play out in a simple, straightforward way. We're all trying to live together and make things work. Right. No, and it's, um, now's the time for our community, whatever community you subscribe to, to kind of come together. If you are not a rich white male, you need to kind of come together right now because that is the only one that the Republican Party right now cares about. I'm sorry. That's my pitch for politics <laughs> is, <laughs> I don't care if you don't like the Democrats right now because... It will not get better if we don't all come together. And then we find our voices. We find, you know, and then you make your voices heard, which I think is happening right now. The younger generation, I mean, I swear, they're going to change everything if 
they are not snuffed out by too much rhetoric on the right. They That's think right. they're they'll get tired or complacent or they'll lose that energy that kind of happens when you keep getting told no yeah. or you don't belong. So and I don't like, want to see that. You know, we were talking about earlier that idea of you go out and you don't talk with your hands. You kind of tone it down. I think um, something that's amazing is these kids are dealing with so much backlash, and yet they're expressing themselves so mm. confidently. Uh, and that's, I just think, different than even how I grew up, how you got to grow up. And it's kind of amazing to see. But I hope that, like you're saying, uh, we can support them and, and keep that from getting worse. Uh, but thanks for taking the time to sit down with me Definitely. today and talk about all of this. <laughs> it was my pleasure. Thanks also to all of you very first listeners to the Arizona Equals Conversation. We've got some great episodes lined up for the next few weeks, and I'd really love to talk to you. If you're queer, if you live in Arizona, you can visit equalityarizona.org stories to sign up to be a guest on the podcast. Share it with your friends subscribe on Substack or in the podcast player of your choice and join us again next week. Thanks for listening.